This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to the prologue on America's Web Radio, a weekly program bringing you introductions to writers and books you may not be familiar with. Now, this hour is certainly going to be an exception to that rule, and I just know you're going to enjoy it. My name is Doug Dahlgren. I'll be your host. I'm an author myself, and you can find my work on Amazon, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, and, of course, on my own personal website, DougDahlgren.com. Now, we call this show the prologue because that's what it is. It's an introduction. And while those introductions are mainly about writers, we also love to bring you interesting people with just a good story to tell from all sorts of endeavors and fields and whatever it is that they do. So if you or someone you know has a book or that interesting story that just needs to be told, please have them reach out to me through email. There's two ways to do that. There's Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or Doug at DougDahlgren.com. I'd love to speak with you or them about the possibility of being on a future program. Now, we have been honored to have many award-winning authors as guests here on the prologue. This hour, the award-winning guest we have for you today has achieved another mark that all writers dream about. His characters and his stories have been adapted for the screen, and that TV program will soon release its fifth season to an impatiently waiting fan base. Now, born and raised in West Virginia, he went to school at Marshall University and then received a Master's of Arts degree at Temple University in Philadelphia. The lure of the West and the memory of a past visit brought him to northern Wyoming in 1990. He and a friend at that time bought some land, 260 acres worth, a mere postage stamp in Wyoming, he calls it. Some two years later, he returned to that land and ordered a log cabin kit. It was work on that cabin that he credits with both starting and then stashing away the first two chapters of what would become the Cold Dish. Those familiar with that title recognize it as the first of the Walt Longmire mysteries and the inspiration for the popular, critically acclaimed TV show, Longmire. From his ranch in Ucross, Wyoming, I'm proud to introduce to you the author of those novels, Mr. Craig Johnson. How are you this morning, sir? I'm good. How about yourself? Doing great. Proud to have you here. I appreciate oh, you. My pleasure. My pleasure. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us. I know you've got to be a really busy guy right now. New book coming out next month. Fifth season of the show debuting not long after that. This has got to be an exciting time for you. It is. The planets are kind of in alignment here coming in September. Um, the, the newest book, an obvious fact. Uh, it's actually the 12th book in the Walt Longmire series. Look at and uh, That's when I think the same date as the, the I think the DVDs for the season four um, of Longmire come out. Look at it. And then on the 23rd, look at the fifth season of Longmire will debut on Netflix. And so, yep, that's a lot of things kind of happening here pretty quick. A lot of stuff going on. I know you've been traveling a good bit, but today we're catching you at home in Ucross. Now, does that mean that the population's at full pool, all 25 of you? <laughs> You know what? My wife and I did like a little bit of a head count one time while we were sitting there at the kitchen table, and we only came up with 19 names uh, here in the immediate vicinity. So we think we're a little bit, little bit swollen, like it from the last census. <laughs> um, you know, and, and those, those signs are expensive to replace. Like it, so I think that it's just remained the same here for the last oh, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And, so uh, you know, we kind of like it that way. I got to admit. We're going to call it 25. Just for just there, there you, go. there you go. Now, now that land that you on that you have out there, 260 acres. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's now, correct. what is the total span of the territory that makes up U Cross? I mean, how big physically is that town? <laughs> Not very big at all. Like a uh, U Cross is actually a a name that came from um, a very large ranch uh, that was uh, here. Um, practically back, you know, whenever uh, you know the, this, this portion of the country was Indian territory, like that, this is the, the U Cross Ranch, um, U, and then across afterwards, and it had a, a large red barn uh, that was kind of famous, you know, up here in northern Wyoming, and um, I think it was like back in the '60s, I believe it was uh, Raymond Plank, like who was uh, out of Minnesota, like a great lover of Wyoming. Um, bought the ranch, like it, and um, he, he, you know, he, it's a, it's a kind of a working ranch, but also it's a, uh, it's called the U Cross Foundation. You know, and what they do is they have uh, different artists, you know, pretty much from all over the world.
um, that come in like that, and they do these, you know, two to six week, um, you know, uh, uh, visits where they can, you know, uh, you know, just work on their artwork and have a place to stay and a place to work. And uh, that's been going strong since like the 1960s. Um, so it's kind of like what it is that uh, that U Cross is famous for. We've also got a little guest ranch that's about a mile and a half away, like that, where. Um, um, we have visitors that coming in pretty much every night, uh, entire busloads of, of visitors coming in. And um, it's, it's kind of nice, like that, because we were driving by it, I think, coming back from the airport in Gillette. And my wife was looking at the sign, and she said, you know, you're kind of responsible for this being, you know, uh, one of the most you know, uh, photographed signs in Wyoming as of late. Uh, and uh, our, our little sign that says population 25 and altitude 4,085 <laughs> feet, I guess it's, uh, a lot of people are taking photographs of it as of late, like that, because of uh, Walt Longmire, I guess. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, you have to take credit for that. Now, we, what I was going for, we live down here in the Atlanta area. You're out there. How far away is your closest neighbor? Um, let's see, probably about five miles away. Five miles. See, so, yeah, I, we live in an area where you, you know, any any distance you choose to spit in, you're going to hit 25 people. <laughs> and and it, and you've got 25 in that whole that whole area. What is it like to live in a remote location like that? Well, I think you know it it, it provides me with a lot of uh, of the things that I need. Um, you know, I mean, you know, whenever we're on tour, like at the tour that's coming up, it's got something like I don't know, maybe 30 stops in it, where we're going to be on the road for the better part of a month. Um, you know, for this new book. And, you know, it's exciting and it's fun. Like, and I mean, other than the actual writing, you know, probably one of the things that I enjoy doing more than anything else is actually going out and going to the bookstores and going to the libraries, you know, and the different events, you know, the meeting the, the people, library That's... event, getting to meet the people who, you know, read the books you know, or watch the television show. Like, I, I really enjoy that. I really like it. Um, you know, I guess, you know, there are a lot of authors who, who don't care for that kind of stuff and, you know, would prefer to stay kind of like, you know, semi-secluded. And uh, and I have that opportunity, you know, being where it is that I am like that. But it's a nice balance, I think, is what it is. Because when I'm home, you know, here in Ucross at the ranch, like that, I can, you know, really focus on what it is that I want to do, which is right. And um, and then, you know, then I can balance that out with all the travel that I do because the, the books have been, you know, translated into about a dozen languages, you know. And oh, yeah. The popularity of you know of what's happened you know with the television show and all of that you know some really wonderful things have happened in the last few years, but um, you know hey you know it's it, it's still a, a a finely balanced life like that because you know after I get done you know actually before you know I was able to come on and do this wonderful uh, interview I was down there shoveling out the barn, <laughs> so you know it's uh, you know my life has pretty much stayed the same as it has pretty grounded. Yeah, living in a town of twenty-five. <laughs> now, now I understand you built your home pretty much by yourself. You had a few things contracted out, but but you built the house yourself. And I understand that there's a new writing desk that you also built, and that there's a particular characteristic about that desk. Uh, you like to tell us about that? Well, let's see. It's a, the 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 ranch itself. Like when I bought the property, it was like 260 acres of you know basically just open you know uh, pasture land is what it was. Like and uh, there really wasn't anything here. Like and that was you know quite a few years back. Like and uh, you know I bought the property. Like and then you know I guess you know, recovered from the financial uh, devastation. Like that long enough to be able to buy a, uh, what you referred to as a log cabin kit, like that, which is something of a misnomer. Like that, it really isn't much of a kit. It's pretty much just random lengths of logs um, that that they guarantee will build what it is that you know you've got a floor plan, plan floor. And uh, you know, I, I drew up the plans, you know, for the house and everything. It's a little, you know, little cabin, about 24 by 36, and that's how the place pretty much started, you know. And I, I had one of those fathers who thought that you were slave labor until you were 21 and escaped. And so I learned how to do all the basic construction, learned how to do some plumbing, learned how to do some electricity, and just a little bit of everything. And, uh, you know, kind of a jack-leg carpenter. And, uh, you know, it's uh, I, I, if you're ever here sometime, like that, I, I can walk you through what is now the entirety of the house. It's a little bit bigger than it was because I kept adding on to it every couple of years. But uh, I can walk you through and show you every single mistake that I made. Well, now, be uh, careful. That sounds like an invitation. I might just and, take and, you and up. I, and I made a lot of mistakes. Okay. So. <laughs> Quite a tour. I've got a note here from from uh, our our owner and engineer says uh, if you can sneak in a little closer to your phone there and speak up a little bit for us, make sure we oh, get okay. all. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That'll be good. All right. Okay. What I was going for that desk doesn't have any drawers. Talk oh, about no, that. Oh no, no, it doesn't. No, no, no. Actually, it doesn't. Like yeah, and I, I actually work in a loft. You know, that's actually 
Um, you know, there's a garage connected to the house now, like that with a breezeway connected to it with a dining room. And then upstairs, you know, I made a, a kind of a, a living room kind of thing like that. And then that's where my writing desk is. And it doesn't have any drawers in it because what I've discovered is is that if you have drawers, that those are like tombs that, you know, good ideas go to die in. And, uh, you know, I prefer to have things kind of stacked up on my desk where I can see, you know, all of them. And even ideas, like I've got a, a filing system that's just a pile of books and magazines and newspaper articles, you know, and uh, printed out pieces from the Internet and all of that that's just, you know, right there beside my writing desk, you know, because I like to see, you know, like what's going to happen um, in the future. And uh, You know, I mean, I, I, I kind of had a book that, you know, The Cold Dish, my first book, got stuck in a drawer for about 10 years. And I don't ever want to make that mistake again. There you go. Folks, we're here this morning on the prologue. We're talking with Craig Johnson, writer of the Longmire series. And uh, we're going to be back with more from Craig after these short messages. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we're back. We're here this morning on the prologue. Our guest today is Craig Johnson. He is writer of the Walt Longmire Mysteries and also responsible for the popular show Longmire that's now on Netflix. I understand the fifth season is going to start this month. Is that right? Or next month? It is. It is. We're pretty excited about that. Um, it's been really kind of great like, to make this transition. I mean, we actually started out at A&E, um, and then they made the mistake of uh, canceling us as the highest-rated scripted drama that they ever had. And um, Netflix, you know, pretty much, you know, snagged us up pretty quick. Like that, and we're in our, uh, I guess, second season of working with Netflix. And I guess one of the you know, really wonderful things about that is, is that you know we're no longer constrained by that basic cable 42-minute format. Um, <laughs> pretty much all of the episodes are at least an hour or over an hour in length. And uh, you know, we've been trending on Netflix pretty much every night. It's it's kind of a wonderful success story. Oh, it is. It's, I'm glad you're there. It's, we try to, to pace ourselves, like last season. We tried here to, to watch maybe two or three and then give it a break. But I understand some people just binge the whole 10 hours and just, you know, miss work and everything and go through it. But, they do. They do. There are a lot of people who, you know, binge watch, you know. And, and then I get angry emails that say, how come you don't do more than 10 episodes you know, <laughs> per year? Why aren't you doing, like, you know, like, you know, 50 episodes or something like that? And so... It's uh, it, it's a it's a unique situation to have, but a wonderful luxury to have too. Um, oh, yeah. My wife and I, we actually, uh, since I'm a creative consultant on the TV show, what they do is they actually send me. Um, I have a usually, you know, I talk with the producers and stuff about you know the preseason and talk about where the season's going to go and what's going to happen and all of this. And then um, what they do is uh, they actually send me the scripts, um, you know, from the writers' room uh, down there at Warner. And I go through like that and, uh, you know, give them feedback, you know, on, you know, just about everything during the course of the of the episodes. You know, a lot of time it's just factual stuff, you know, like how long it takes to get to where or where's a town that's like, you know, would be about 40 miles away, uh, you know, from Durant and those type of things. Or, you know, procedural aspects of, you know, like what's a, a sheriff's, uh, you know, jurisdictional applications, you know, on an Indian reservation. Can he do this? Can he do that? Um, a lot of Indian questions. Like, and I do say Indian. I don't say Native American because my buddy Marcus Red Thunder up on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation makes fun of me when I try and be politically correct. He always laughs at me. <laughs> Good for him. Where are you from? And I say, well, I was born here in America. So you would be a Native American too, then, wouldn't you? Like, so, um, but that's you know, it's a, it's a lot of uh, a lot of things to take into consideration. Like that, and, you know, and a lot of times, you know, we disagree. A lot of times, we agree. Um, you know, but I think one of the, the nice things about it is is that um, it's a, it's like any other business. I think that if you get in with good people, um, you get a good product. You know, and if you don't get in with good people, you have troubles. Like, and you know, there's a, a long history of authors who've you know gotten involved with Hollywood who weren't particularly satisfied. Um, you know, with the experience, and I got to admit, you know, that you know I've been doing this for like about five years now, and my experiences with these producers have been, you know, pretty wonderful, you know, pretty amazing. Okay, and um, well, that's great. And it goes all the way down the line from the producers to the directors to uh, you know the technical folk. Look at that, are, you know, they're down there in New Mexico near uh, Santa Fe, where it is that the the show is filmed. Look at, and then uh, the actors too. I've become really good close friends, you know, with Lou Diamond Phillips and Robert Taylor and Adam Bartley and A. Martinez and uh, Katie Sackhoff and uh, Cassidy Freeman and, and all these wonderful, wonderful actors um, that uh, actually come up to Buffalo, Wyoming for Longmire Days um, at the uh, the beginning, uh, around the middle of July. 
um, where we have a big celebration, and um, about 20,000 of their closest friends show up in this little town of 4,000 people, which is the big town uh, in my area over in Buffalo. And uh, it's it's pretty nice that they're willing to do that. I read somewhere that you mentioned Durant. That's the fictional town and, of course, the fictional county of Amarosa, mm-hmm. uh, that Buffalo actually is the stand-in for that. Is that true? Oh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anybody that goes to Buffalo, certainly if you come to Longmire Days or if you're just traveling through Wyoming and happen to come to northern Wyoming and go through Buffalo, you know, you'll see the Busy Bee Cafe right there um, and Clear Creek running right through the middle of Main Street. You'll see the old uh, Carnegie Library that's right behind uh, the courthouse. I mean, it's, it's in many ways kind of like walking into the books. Um, to a great extent. You know, the only thing that I had to do was I kind of had to scale the town down just a little bit simply because, um, you know, a town of 4,000 people has a city police department. Right. And I really didn't want Walt to have to contend with, you know, being in competition with a, a city police department. Not that that doesn't mean that Durant at some point in time might grow to the point where it needs a city police department and Walt would have to have a uh, you know, a kind of a, a relationship, you know, with a chief of police in that particular area. And then, of course, then there's the county itself, like that, which is, you know, uh, fictitious, um, which is not something new. Um, there have been a lot of authors that came before me. Faulkner, you know, some of the South there, is, you know, probably one of the big ones there, came up with his own fictitious county to uh, have his books take place in. And I, you know, I'm not the first one to come up with that idea. A lot of other authors. Oh, no. Have. And I think that, you know, it probably served me, you know, pretty well like that because there are uh, 23 counties in Wyoming and, you know, Absaroka County is the 24th. And it kind of gives me uh, a little bit of leeway as far as, like, being able to do what it is that I want to do and how I wanted to do it. Absolutely. Now, with Buffalo standing in for Durant, uh, but that yet they go for the exterior scenes, they go all the way down to New Mexico to film those. Why, they couldn't find something there in Wyoming to use? Well, if you you know they start filming pretty much at the end of February. Have you ever been in Wyoming at the end of February? No, I don't know what I want to. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually the first uh, reason that I, I, I point out. Like it is, a, you know, we we tend to have a little bit of uh, okay. uh, unstructured unstructured weather about that time of year. Well, I guess somebody with half a brain would have figured that one out, but that makes sense, I guess. Well, and then there then there are a number of others too. Like I mean, there's a lot of other reasons too. Um, you know the, the the New Mexico Film Commission is an extraordinary uh, group of individuals like that who are very aggressive like that, and I can pretty much guarantee you that just about every western that you've seen in the last 20 years, if not filmed exclusively in New Mexico, has been at least partially filmed in New Mexico because um, they have certain advantages like that in the sense that you know they have really stable weather patterns. Number one, number two, um, you know the topography and the geography. You know it, it can stand in you know for an awful lot of the parts of the West. Um, and then the other big thing is is that they have these couple of, uh, of, of advantages in the sense that they have uh, sound stages. Um, the, the Santa Fe School for Art and Design actually has three huge sound stages down there that uh, you can occupy uh, for interiors. Um, you know, all of Longmire basically fits into one of the sound stages um, down in Santa Fe. Uh, all the interiors of you know the office of you know Walt's cabin of uh you know the the red pony bar and grill you know i mean all of these uh these buildings are all housed in one of those sound stages and so you need that kind of facility um to be able to to do this type of a show and then the other thing that they have is people they have really wonderfully trained crews um that come in and so you don't have to bring all of your crews out from los angeles and you know and house them and feed them and you know pay them all the extra money it takes um, to have them on set to be able to do a show like this. And so those are some pretty great examples of why it is that, you know, so many things are filmed in New Mexico. You sound like you're really happy with the way the whole thing's going. That that That's good to hear because a lot of times, like you said earlier, the author kind of feels like he's been taken advantage of when things like this happen. But you sound really pleased with the whole setup. Well, I think that, you know, it's it's a lot of it is the expectations, you know, that, that authors, you know, come into these things with. You know, I mean, you know, you, you give birth to these ideas, you give birth to these characters, you know, these novels, you know, and they're yours. Like, mm-hmm. you, know, you feel proprietary about how it is that they should be portrayed. Um, but I think it's it's like any other business. Like I said before, you know, you got to try and get the very best people that you can work with. And then if you're lucky enough to get them, you do the hardest thing in the world, which is leave them alone. <laughs> Let them do what they do. I mean, you know, the the you know the, the the producers that are responsible for Longmire, you know, have a long list of television shows that they produce, you know, and really wonderful 
um, working experiences and successes that they've had. And so, you know, hey, I'm a cowboy in the town of 25. You know, I don't know anything about television production, so the best thing I can do, like it is, get the best people and then leave them alone, let them do what they do best. And, you know, there was a reason why it was that they chose these books, you know, to try and make this television show out of. They, they, they saw something there that they really liked. They saw something that they thought was very different from a lot of the stuff that's out there. I mean, you know, one of the main reasons why it is that Longmire got picked up um, as a television show was because it's the procedural that's about the sheriff of the least populated county and the least populated state in America. And, uh, you know, he's kind of old school. Look at he's, uh, he's he's a little bit of a Luddite in the sense that, you know, he doesn't carry his cell phone. Look at he doesn't a, isn't a strong believer in a lot of the technology being uh, – the, uh, the, having the ability to break these cases, but a lot of times it's just a little bit of common sense. Sometimes it's a little bit of just good old uh, knocking on doors, you know, asking one more question, making one more phone call, taking one more look at the evidence, you know. Um, it's kind of anti-CSI, you know, because right. the time period when we have about 18 or 19 CSIs out there and people have come to, you know, kind of expect that technology is, you know, this deus is mechano, this 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 amazing miracle that can solve anything, and it's just not really particularly true. Um, I was actually, especially in a place, you know, like Wyoming, I was talking to a DCI investigator here in Wyoming where we have one crime lab in the whole state, and I asked him, I said, you know, uh, how long does it take you guys to get DNA evidence? And he pauses for a second, and he says, is this a high-profile case? And I said, yeah, let's pretend like it's a high-profile case. He said, about nine months. And so I said, well, that, you know, that, that two minutes that they seem to portray, you know, on television every night isn't particularly honest now, is it? And he goes, no, it's not. Nope. And so I thought, well, what if you did something that focused more on character and place? Um, you know, because that's always where the best writing, you know, seems to come from. Um, you know, I, I don't mind technology like that, but I'd much rather read about people and I'd much rather read about a place. And so that's how I got started, you know, working on The Cold Dish, that very first Walt Longmire book. Absolutely. I want to ask you about the cold dish. I, I read somewhere, correct me if I'm wrong, but that you actually came up with the story, the basic abused girl and, and her situation, before you came up with these main characters. Is that accurate? Oh, yeah, it is. Like I, uh, There was a, actually a case that happened in Glen Ridge, New Jersey, um, where this, uh, there was a young woman uh, who was mentally handicapped and then taken into a basement and abused um, by these four young men. And I, you know, my my whole thought was, okay, well, maybe if I move this storyline, you know, to the you know contemporary American West, you know, if I if I move it out here to Wyoming, you know, where I am, like that, and you know, and kind of work it in so that the you know, the young girl is a product of fetal alcohol syndrome, and um, you know, these four young men are from an adjacent town off the reservation, and they're white. Um, you know, maybe this will have something to say about you know the race relations in the contemporary American West, and that's you know kind of pretty much how it all started. And uh, you know, then you know, what you do then at that point in time, it seems like as a writer, is you start thinking about okay, well, who would be involved you know with this case, and why would they be involved with this case, and what would it have to say about their lives, look at and uh, the development of their characters and relationships too, and that's kind of how it all fell into place. And from there comes Walt Longmire. So. Yeah, and Walt was a little bit different, you know, I think, than a lot of the, the protagonists that you see uh, in crime fiction. You know, a lot of times I, I make the joke that, you know, that, that, that you know, average, you know, uh, you know, crime fiction thriller protagonist tended to be the six foot two of Twisted Steel and Sex Appeal. Every woman wanted him, <laughs> every man feared him. He could kill anyone with a Ticonderoga number two pencil in 3.2 seconds, you know, and so... You know, I, I, you know, in case you can't tell, I hate that guy more than any other character, just because he just doesn't seem particularly real to me. Um, he's kind of a cartoon character, and so I started thinking, okay, well, let's try and, you know, find another kind of character. Let's go with somebody who's different, and uh, that's how Walt kind of came to be. You know, Walt's what I tend to refer to as over. He's overweight. He's over age. He's overly depressed. You know, but he still gets up in the morning and tries to do the job. And and that, to me, you know, makes him a little bit more human, and uh, and in that sense, you know, makes him a little more believable and, and that much more heroic. He absolutely is, folks. Again, we're here this morning on the prologue with Mr. Craig Johnson, and we're talking about Longmire, the books, and the TV show. My name's Doug Dog, and we're going to be back with more from Craig after these messages. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio, designed just for you. 
And we're back. We're here this morning on the prologue with Mr. Craig Johnson. He is the creator and author of the Longmire series, Walt Longmire Mysteries. Craig, uh, the characters that you've come up with, we were talking about that a while ago, that, that Walt's character is different from that normal big burly sheriff. Uh, but But the characters are just, they're what draw people to both your books and to the TV show. You've got a very terrific quote that you use in your speeches about the disclaimer that we all put up in the front matters of our books. You want to share that with us? Actually, I have to give credit where credit's due. That's actually from Wallace Stegner, um, who's actually one of my my favorite uh, Western writers. Um, He was an amazing individual, like I who taught at Stanford. And uh, the the list of students that he had that became incredible writers um, is legion like that. But uh, one of the wonderful little books that he wrote. Actually, it was, it was actually I think pretty much put together after he, his passing. He died in a car wreck in Santa Fe a number of years back. Mm. And his wife and son um, sat down like that and uh, you know accumulated all of his lectures, look at and put the notes all together and made this little book on writing and teaching fiction. And uh, one of the statements that he makes in that book is that um, the greatest piece of fiction ever written is the disclaimer at the beginning of every book that says nobody in this book is based off of anybody alive or dead. Um, you know, that that's just not true. Like, and he knew it very well that, uh, you know, one of the, the, the great joys and, uh, and, and great shortcuts to a certain extent um, when you're writing is to, to go find people that you want to put in your books. And, you know, that that's just a given, like that, you know, we all go through our lives, look at, you know, and think, oh, boy, there's an interesting character. I think I could use that. Or it can be just traits, you know, it can be just little little bits and pieces of people. I mean, an awful lot of the time what you find yourself doing is what I refer to as a, a Dr. Frankenstein. You know, you just kind of take bits and pieces um, from a lot of different people to, you know, assemble the character that you need. And, um, you know, I've been doing that for 12 years, like that, and it, it seems to have worked out pretty well for me, and I have no intentions of stopping. Well, now, I know you can tell where this next question's coming here. Who is Walt Longmire? <laughs> well, Walt definitely is more of a, uh, of a construct. Um, you know, I, I do a, a lot of ride-alongs with a lot of law enforcement here in Wyoming and up Montana, and you know, there, there are a lot of really wonderful sheriffs. Look at who share. You know, a lot of their, uh, you know, even their, their more outrageous stories. You know, which I do include in the books. You know, I can always, uh, you can always tell whenever you hit, you know, one of the, the the honest and true stories in my books because they seem so outrageous. There's no way they could ever possibly happen. Um, you know, and 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 they did. They do look at, and uh, I tend to pop those into my books every once in a while. Like that, but um, you know, those, those guys are pretty great. Look at, you know, for being able to, you know give you the information that you need to tell the stories you want to tell like that and and the lives that they've led you know are just extraordinary um i i have discovered that retired sheriffs you know will tend to you know tell you a little bit more about what's going on than currently tenured sheriffs look at because they they have to worry about getting reelected but retired sheriffs don't look at and so they'll just kind of tell you the truth um but yeah that's 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 a lot of it you know is uh drawing you bits and pieces out look at and walt uh Kind of was an assemblage, you know, of of, of of a lot of different guys like that that I knew, like that that I worked with, like that spent time with, and uh, a lot of the other characters too, um, you know, are, are assembled like that or drawn from individuals like that. The difficulty, of course, with that is is that, you know, I I, I make my home in a in a state that has only you know a little over half a million people in it. Um, so <laughs> you don't have a lot I've to work with. No, there's not a lot of cover. Okay, so if I, you know, put somebody in one of my books, you know, boy, you know, an awful lot of people, you know, figure out who that is pretty quick. Well, you know, it's something that a fact that everybody knows, but but you really zeroed in on it. Walt Longmire is a sheriff, and and that's mm-hmm. a particularly different type of a law enforcement officer. Uh, the way you put it, he's got to be both a, a cop and a politician, and that's oh, true. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, like whenever I'm, you know, especially when I'm doing tours uh, overseas, um, you know, I'm always explaining, you know, to people what exactly a sheriff is, okay, because it's it's unique, you know, to you know the United States um, in law enforcement that we should have a position where, you know, as I say, not only are you a policeman, but you're also a politician. You know, you need to be able to go out and you know talk with people, deal with people, you know, get votes, you know, and do that type of thing. And what what that did was is it kind of, you know gave Walt, first of all, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it was a lot of growth. 
around. I mean, there are a lot of aspects of law enforcement um, that you have to be an expert in, like, and deal with. Um, whereas, you know, if you're a homicide investigator, you deal with, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the procedures of, you know, dealing with a homicide investigation. You know, you, you deal with people getting murdered, like that. Walt deals with everything. You know, Walt's got a little miniature prison. Walt's in charge of, you know, court security. Walt's in charge of, you know, uh, being a road deputies that are out on the road. You know, all of these things like that are, you know, things that he has to, you know, to deal with. Right. And so that made the the job a lot more appealing to me as far as, you know, uh, the character because I wouldn't have him doing the same things over and over again. He would have to deal with a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, that just, uh, it, it just made for, I think, a, a more varied experience as far as, you know, the, the books and the television show are concerned. Now, he's portrayed on the TV series by Robert Taylor. And that mm-hmm. seems to me, now, I'm just going from my fan base here, uh, but he seems to be pretty consistent with the writing. He's that strong, in my eye, he's that Gary Cooper high noon guy. You know, you're. Okay, and, and then there's other people that have said he's a combination of Gus and Woodrow from Lonesome Dove. Uh, <laughs> are are you overall, are you happy, or could there have been someone else to play that role better? Oh, no, I, I think that, you know, they landed upon somebody who was absolutely uh, perfect um, for the role. Um, and, yeah, you know, he, he's got that DNA. Like, you know, Robert's a great guy. And uh, you know he, he's you know, about six foot three, like that. Weighs about two twenty, like that. You know he's got that. You know he's got lines on his face. He doesn't look like you know a six week wonder. You know he's got that gravelly voice and all of that. And you know all those things together seem to work. You know in his favor as far as you know people see him and look at him and think, okay, yeah, he looks like a Wyoming sheriff. Um, he looks like the real deal, like that, and uh, you know, and it's a little bit of a learning experience, you know, for yourself, you know, whenever Hollywood gets a hold of what it is that you do, because you think you know what you're doing, like that, but then sometimes, you know, some of these revelations, you know, come along. And I remember talking with um, Greer Shepard, uh, who's like the the head producer for the television show when we were in the developmental process, and one of the things she asked me was, she said, "Well, Craig, do you think of Walt Longmire as a you know a verbose you know kind of character?" and you know, you see him as being talkative, and I was like, oh, gosh, yes. I mean, you know, it, the, the books are written in first person, you know, and we're in Walt's head, you know, for, you know, 350, 400 pages, you know, and so, yeah, I, I do think he's, you know, he's very talkative. And she pauses for a second. She says, I'm not talking about what he thinks. I'm talking about <laughs> what he actually says. And I was like, huh. And I went back and looked, you know, and an awful lot of the time, Walt will think for like three pages and uh-huh. then he'll say one sentence, you know, and so that sentence, you know, kind of becomes imperative at that point because he's, you know, he's getting across about three pages of thought. And uh, I think that kind of speaks a little bit to what you were talking about as far as that, you know, that Gary Cooper um, aspect, you know. Oh, yeah. That's one of the things I think that Gary Cooper did maybe better than any other actor out there. Um, in the history of acting like that was, is that he didn't have to be talking all the time. You know, you could see the wheels turning, um, and you could see him reacting, you know, with just the, you know, the slightest little bit of action. And I think that Robert Taylor is truly an embodiment, you know, of uh, of that, that golden era of acting. He's very much more the uh, the Joel McRae, Ben Johnson, you know, Gary mm-hmm. Cooper. Uh, kind go. of style of acting, and uh, I think it serves him. I think it serves him well, and I think it serves the character well, like that, because you know that uh, you know that ability to you know, you know talk low, talk slow, and don't talk too much. You know, kind of is a, a hallmark, you know, of, uh, of not only the Western character but also of Western acting. Oh yeah, now he's dead on. I have to agree. And again, I'm speaking from just one guy who loves your show, okay, and the books. Uh, but now there's some of the other characters that that are a little bit different. And and again, that's one guy's opinion. Vic, uh, Katie Sackhoff does a great job, but to me, she seems like she's a little bit softer on the TV show. Yeah, yeah well, she is. She is. <laughs> Um, you know, whenever I was assembling the characters, you know, whenever you're you're thinking about you know a storyline and assembling the characters, one of the, you know, the first things you do is is think about what the purpose is, you know, for each one of these voices. Um, and you know, in writing a novel, in many ways, it's kind of like conducting a choral group. You know, it's kind of like you know where you kind of pick out the different voices that are going to do these different things to tell the story that you want to tell. Like, and so um, whenever I was thinking about the construction of these books, you know, I, I looked at Walt. You know, because you start with Walt. Walt is the the hallmark, the hinge pin, you know, the, the the keystone, you know, for this uh, this whole process. And so I I looked at Walt and I thought, okay, well, you know, we we got to go in the opposite direction here, like that, because you know the the books are, you know, told in first person. You know, you're in Walt's head, you know, and so there's a really strong, 
uh, masculine narrative, you know, to the books. And I thought, okay, well, we've got to kind of equalize that out a little bit. We're going to have to have some really strong female characters to kind of slide the, the balance back a little bit further towards the middle. And um, and that's, you know, the, the first person that Walt's probably going to have a lot of interaction with as far as all of these cases are concerned would be the undersheriff, um, you know, his, his chief deputy, um, which would be uh, Victoria Moretti. And so, you know, I, when I was thinking about the character, I thought, okay, well, if the, you know, the sheriff is male, you know, the undersheriff should be female. If, you know, uh, the, the sheriff is, uh, you know, rural, then, you know, the undersheriff should be urban. If, you know, the sheriff is more into the social implications, you know, of how it is that he does his job in the sense that he knows the history, you know, of the area, he knows the history of all the families, he knows, you know, everything about it, you know, socially, well, then, you know, the undersheriff maybe should be, you know, more technologically advanced, you know, her having gone to, you know, the fifth largest police academy in the United States, you know, her knowledge of, you know, forensics, ballistics, DNA evidence, and all of these other scientific aspects is probably going to be a little bit better than Waltz, you know, who is, you know, in, in essence, you know, a, a rural sheriff, you know, with the, that kind of a background. And so if Walt also is very careful about the type of language that he uses, you know, <laughs> to, uh, to deal with his constituency like that, well, then Vic would be very careful about the type of language that she uses in a very different way. Um, you know, she's from a very rough, tough, you know, urban environment, you know, and she has four brothers who are active police officers, you know, in uh, Philadelphia. Her father is the chief of detectives, you know, for Philadelphia North, and she's had to be twice as tough, um, twice as smart, you know, and twice as capable to, to be noticed half as much. And so it kind of gives her a little bit of a different language like that, that, uh, that can sometimes be a little bit rough oh, yeah. uh, in comparison with Walt. And, uh, you know, hey, that, that's just something that I think is, you know, honest. Um, you know, some people, you know, they'll read the books and they sometimes have difficulties, you know, with fixed <laughs> language. But uh, I always look at that and say, well, you know, if I, if I were to remove that, it would be a kind of a form of censorship. And, uh, you know, that's just not something that I'm willing to do. I think that, you know, she's oh, going to no, talk. Oh, no, don't. That's her character. She's strong. Henry Standing Bear. Now, mm -hmm. Henry is that loyal to the death good friend uh, that we either wish we have or we do have. Now, <laughs> you've got a friend that's like that. Tell us who the model for Henry is. Uh, the model for my friend, uh, well, for my for, for the character Henry, like it is my friend uh, Marcus Red Thunder, um, who's Northern Cheyenne, like it, and uh, we've been you know great friends for you know number of decades, like it, and uh, you know he's he's my go-to guy um, as far as that type of thing is concerned, and uh, you know there are a number of things that he has you know in 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 common with Henry, like that, but one of the things he most certainly has in common with Henry is his sense of humor. Um, and that, that's, you know, one of the reasons why I think, you know, probably the, the books and the television are as popular as they are um, in Indian country. Like that is simply because, you know, the, the characters are a little bit more, you know, well-defined. All of the Indian characters are a little more defined than rather than being just the standard Indian character that you see um, in literature, you know, and a lot of times in Hollywood. Um, and one of the key elements of that, I think, is the humor. Um, I don't think there's ever been a group of individuals that have been more maligned as not having a sense of humor as much as the American Indian. And, uh, you know, my experiences with the Northern Cheyenne and the Crow and the Lakota and the Shoshone and the Arapaho have proven to me that that is not the case at all. You know, most of the Indians that I know have incredible senses of humor and work on about 17 different layers of irony. And if you're not aware of that irony, you get to be the butt of that irony. Amen. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty sensitive, you know, to that <laughs> humor like that. And uh, I think it's important, too. Like that. I mean, they're not just set dressing, you know, for a Oh, yeah. Are, well, you peel back the political correctness. That's the thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, get, yeah. I think you've got to get away from that stuff, yeah, you know, and really yeah. try and be as honest as you possibly can. Craig, I've got to squeeze in another break here. Uh, okay. We are here this morning. My name's Doug Dahlgren. You're listening to the prologue, and we're delighted this morning. We've got Craig Johnson on the line, and we're going to be back with more from him after these messages. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we're back on the prologue this morning with Craig Johnson. He's coming to us from Ucross, Wyoming. Craig, as you know, is the creator of the Longmire series. We've been talking about the characters. We're talking here when I had to interrupt him before about Henry Standing Bear and Marcus, who is the friend of Craig's, who's the model for that. Now, how long have you known Marcus? 
Oh, geez. Uh, I had 30 years, I guess. <laughs> now, in reality, is he as stoic a character as Henry? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. He's much more talkative, uh, much more demonstrative, and uh, much more uh, very, very, very. The hallmark of his character, I think, is uh, of Marcus's character is that sense of humor, like that. And he likes to talk. He loves to tell stories. He loves to joke. And uh, you know, but then you know, whenever I'm like developing the character of Henry, um, you know, he has to, you know, to. to you know, kind of utilize a lot of those stereotypical cliches, like, you know, for a lot of the humor that he does in the books and, and who he is. Like, he's a very, you know, he's a one tough customer, uh, you know, that, that you know, you, you don't want to run into him like that and get on his bad side. Like, that. he's a very capable individual, um, you know, both Walt and he, you know, as Vietnam veterans, like, that, and, you know, the amount of experience that they've had, um, you know, in the military, like that, and also, you know, in the different, you know, jobs that they've had. Um, since like that, uh, they're, they're capable um, because it's it's important to me to to have that. Um, whenever I'm portraying characters in law enforcement, you know, I'm always amazed. You know, Hollywood always has you know the the pizza delivery kid. You know, suddenly throws down his pizza box and picks up an AK-47 and jumps in a helicopter <laughs> and can fly it. You know, and I'm like, ah, no. You know, it takes a certain amount of training and a certain amount of hours. You know, to be able to do a lot of these things and especially to do them well. And uh, and so that's that's one of the, you know, the the character aspects I like to take a, into consideration. But you know, the, the, you know, to be here in Indian country is an important aspect of the books, all the way going back to the very first book, The Cold Dish. Um, you know, because a lot of what that book had to say, you know, was about what was you know justice on the reservation and what was justice off the reservation. And uh, whenever I was assembling those characters, as as we discussed earlier in the interview, one of the things I had to take into consideration was well. You know, I'm talking about two cultures um, that live uh, alongside each other, you know, that are side by side. And, you know, the reservations are a different place. Like, at their, you know, they're autonomous. Like, at they are, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a, a country under themselves, country. really. Yeah, they are an autonomous, you know, situation like that, that, you know, that they have their own, you know, governments, they have their own law enforcement, they have all of this. Um, and so, you know, basically I was going to have to have two individuals that were going to be um, emblematic, you know, of uh, of these two cultures, you know, and, uh, you know, Walt being emblematic of the mainstream white, uh, you know, culture, like that, and then Henry, you know, being emblematic of, of the reservation and the Indian culture. And he tries to show empathy for them and work with them as much as he can. That's, you know, I think that's realistic. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's you know probably one of the um, the big differences you know between the you know the books and the television show. The television show I've discovered you know over the years is uh, television really kind of survives on a sense of dramatic uh, conflict. You know, an awful lot of you know what goes on you know tends to be driven you know by dramatic conflict, scene to scene you know. Uh, you know, episode to episode, season to season. And, you know, I think that that would become tiresome uh, in, in a novel, you know, in a, especially in a series of novels, like if there was as much confrontation, you know, between um, the tribal police, like at M. Walt, you know. And, oh, and yeah. They, 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 they work together a lot more um, in the, the books like that. But, you know, I mean, you really kind of have to have that kind of dramatic structure. You have to have dramatic conflict. And I think that they do a pretty marvelous job with that on the television show. It's just it's just a different way of you know, telling stories. As well. Oh, yeah. Well, while we're talking about that, a different way of things. The character uh, Turk is not on the TV series, and the character Branch was not in the books. Uh, mm -hmm. Were you involved in that transition, or is that just you know. <laughs> It's always it's always a touchy subject whenever I'm talking about those two characters. <laughs> but I had to bring I know, it up. I, I know the story, like as to why it is that they changed the name, like that. And uh, I, I think I can say it on the air. I don't think that it's a, it's a, it's that terrible of a word, like that. But uh, yeah, um, Lucian Connolly, you know, one of the other you know support characters in the book right. is the old sheriff, you know, right. who's kind of Walt's mentor. Robocop. Um, who Walt goes and, and plays chess with on Tuesday nights. Um, at the Home for Assisted Living, like that, and uh, you know, there's a long history, you know, between Walt and Lucian, um, and he's you know a very strong character in the books. And uh, in the very first book, The Cold Dish, we actually find out that uh, Turk Connolly, who is Lucian's nephew, is um, actually one of Walt's deputies, and uh, it's a very uneasy relationship. They don't get along very well. Their attitudes about law enforcement and what it is that the job entails. 
and uh, what the responsibilities are are very, very different between these two uh, two men. Like that one kind of young, like that who maybe has you know got some lessons to learn, like that, and then Walt, who I think you know has a a pretty clear idea about you know what it is that he does and how to do it. And uh, you know by the time the the cold dish is over with, you know. Uh, you know, Turk is actually on down the road. Like, you know, Walt's giving him his walking papers and says to him, you know, maybe the highway patrol or a more structured form of law enforcement would be a better place for you to, uh, uh, you know, to ply your trade. Like that. And uh, in the television show, you know, the character of Branch um, is there for, you know, about, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, uh, through you know, three, maybe four seasons. Like that. And uh, they kind of elaborated on the character a little bit more. Uh, to make him a more worthy adversary for Walt as far as the uh, re-election campaign is concerned. Um, but the name itself, actually, I, I, it was funny like that because I was talking to the producers, and they said, you know, well, we think we're going to change Turk's name to uh, Branch. And I said, well, do you mind if I ask why? <laughs> like that? And they said, well, because every time the actors say Turk, it sounds like they're saying turd. And so I was like, oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> probably is a, is, a, is, a, is a probably a good call on your part then. <laughs> that that could be a problem. All right, yeah. I, uh, spoiler alert here for those of you who haven't watched uh, everything, but how much flack did the producers take for Branch's demise? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that you have to take into consideration whenever you're doing something like a television show and especially a series, um, that's been as long-lived as as, uh, as Longmire. I mean, you know, most television shows, an awful lot of them, don't even make it to one, through one season. They, they, they're they up for one season, then they're gone. Or they make two or three, like that, you know, and, and we had the opportunity of being canceled, you know, in our third season, but then, you know, there was enough of an outcry, you know, from the Longmire posse and from you know, uh, viewers from all over the, not only the country, but all over the world that were upset, you know, that this very popular television show had gotten canceled, um, that it gave us a new life, like that, and that, you know, we've continued on, you know, for season four and season five, and you know, knock on wood, hopefully season six. Um, but it's it's one of those things where, um, you know, it, it's you're always going to roll the dice as far as, like, availability of the actors that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they may get other jobs or other things, you know, that they want to go do. And, you know, after they have a, a certain number of years in their contracts, you know, they do have that opportunity to opt out. And uh, I think Bailey Chase, like at the actor who was playing Branch, like at, I think he, he had some other opportunities that he wanted to pursue, some other things that he wanted to do. And, uh, and you know, and that, that made for, you know, a situation where, you know, he needed to leave the show. And I think that the producers did a really wonderful job as far as, you know, developing that character's, you know, exit because um, you really kind of need to remind people um, that these characters are involved, you know, in a business where there are no guarantees that when they pin that badge on in the morning that they're going to come back at night, Um, especially in the, the kind of, you know, horrific situations where we have, you know, where law enforcement personnel are being targeted and killed, you know, uh, um, in the modern society, which is just, you know, ridiculous. Oh, it's, it's, you know, I mean, if that's what you want, then you're looking at chaos. As it's anarchy. Doing. Yeah, absolutely are the ones who are here to assist and to help in these situations, you know. And so um, I think it's a little bit of a reminder, you know, of the mortality of these characters and, um, and how there are no guarantees. Like that, that all of these characters are going to survive and that all of them are going to continue on, um, you know, uh, as the series progresses, you know, as far as the books and the television show are concerned. So it's it's a nice little wake-up call, I think, you know, for, for readers and viewers to get periodically. Oh, it is. It is. Got, got a couple of impact things I want to go. We're running out of time, so we're going to need okay. to speed this up. But to show <laughs> the impact that you've had. Now, you've got uh, the new season coming out and a new book, both coming out right within about 10 days of each other. i got to ask you, have you notified the Rainier Beer people about this? <laughs> you know, there's not a week that goes by that somebody doesn't write me and say, why do you have Walt drink that, that lousy beer, Rainier <laughs> beer? And, uh, and I always write them back and go, that's is a fine macro brew. I don't know what your problem is here, like, but uh, I, I was looking for a, a, a signature uh, drink, you know, for Walt. You know, it, it seemed like you know all of these characters always had a signature drink, and I was kind of trying to come up with something that would be a little bit funny, you know, that it would be uh, a kind of a blue collar working class beer, you know, kind of like. Uh, 
you know, and, and the big competition there was between Ole and Rainier. Like, and I thought, okay, well, why not? We'll go with Rainier is what we'll do. Like, and uh, it's kind of led to them having a big boost in sales. You know, because a lot well, of they actually ran out there for a while, didn't they? They actually did. They had a little little thin period there where they had a spike <laughs> in sales. You know, that was uh, larger than anything that they've had since they started, you know, brewing uh, the beer since back in you know when they broke prohibition. And so I'm I'm kinda proud of that to be to be quite Oh honest. yeah. That's I'm that's kinda real... happy to have helped a good working class brewery kind of uh you know accelerate, you know, its sales, you know, and, and keep itself alive. And we gotta ask you real fast, obvious than an obvious fact is coming out September thirteenth. Have you got a little elevator pitch for us that we can uh, kinda tease us with? Absolutely. Look at um an obvious fact, uh, the title itself actually comes from Sherlock Holmes. Um, and it's a uh, quote uh, from Arthur Conan Doyle where there is nothing so deceptive as an obvious fact. And, of course, what that is is that uh, um, Henry actually borrows the annotated short stories of Sherlock Holmes, like that on this one particular uh, story, and he keeps quoting Sherlock Holmes to poor Walt all the way through the book, and uh, much to Walt's dismay. But uh, this book takes place up in Hewlett in the northeast uh, corner of Wyoming, like out in Crook County. It's a little town of 396 people and a police force of one. And, uh, you know, with the crime rate that we have here in Wyoming, it's, you know, actually a pretty good uh, rate, you know, one police officer for 400 people. The problem being that uh, Hewlett has a little sister city over in South Dakota right across the border that's called Sturgis. And uh, once a year they have the largest motorcycle rally in the world, and about a million bikers, you know, come into Sturgis. And about 50,000 of them head over into Hewlett, which happens to be right at the base of Devil's Tower, the first national monument in the United States. And uh, so I thought to myself, okay, you know, a town with 396 people, one cop, and 50,000 bikers, that's probably something that Walt and Henry and most certainly Vic need to be involved with. (laughs) That's an obvious fact, which will be out on September 13th. We're looking forward to it. And we also hope that the series, Walt Longmire is going to get to wear out a whole bunch of more pickup trucks. How about that? Me too. Like to see him around for a while. Listen, Craig, I want to thank you so much, you and Judy, for you know being so gracious with your time this morning. I thank oh, you. For, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for being on the prologue, and just best of luck to you and to Walt and his entire crew. We just look forward to much more from that. And that's going to be it for this hour, unfortunately. I want to thank again my special guest, Craig Johnson. It is time to go. So for myself, I'm Doug Dahlgren. And for Craig Johnson, I want to say be good to yourselves and each other. Read a book. If it's not one of the Walt Longmire mysteries, maybe you'll choose one of mine. And I'll see you all again in just 167 hours. Take care now. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.